Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, and whose heart are the ways of them, who, passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength, every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. I call our attention this evening to verses 5, 6, 7, and 8 as the text for the sermon. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. The experience of a pilgrim and of pilgrimage is largely lost on us today. Our experience of travel comes with an ease and a comfort unknown to previous generations. When it's hot and we're on a journey, we can turn on the AC in our enclosed cars. When we're bored, we can turn on the radio or put in a book on tape and listen to a story. Imagine walking for miles and miles through a dry, dusty, barren wilderness. Imagine carrying all your food and water supplies on your back and when those supplies run out, you have to scavenge in the territory around you to survive. Imagine trudging day after day with no podcasts to listen to, no cartoons to entertain the children in the van, Well, if you can imagine those kinds of hardships, you have begun to understand the experience of pilgrimage as it was faced by God's people in the Old Testament when they would travel from wherever it was they lived in Judea or in Israel to go to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the feasts three times a year. And it's out of that experience of pilgrimage to Zion, along with its hardships, that the Holy Spirit inspired this text out of the soul of the psalmist. This is the song of the man or woman or child in whose heart is the way to Zion, according to verse 5. 
in whose heart are the ways. Notice of them is in italics, literally, in whose heart are the ways, or is the way, the pilgrim's way. The longing of this individual is to come to Jehovah's courts to make his nest in Jehovah's altars, as he said before in verses 2 and 3, my flesh, my heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God, and he envies the sparrow who has found a nest in the nooks and the crannies of Jehovah's altars. So longing for that place in Zion, he sets out on his journey no matter the dangers and the obstacles that he faces. And at length, along with all his fellow pilgrims, he will appear before God in Mount Zion. That spirit of pilgrimage is a powerful metaphor for the life of the Christian. You and I may never pass through a literal valley called the Valley of Baca or the Valley of Weeping, but we do know the troubles and the tears and the challenges that can face God's people as they pass through, pass through this earthly pilgrimage. You and I may never ascend the literal steps of that mountain called Mount Zion on which the city of Jerusalem was built where the temple was located. But we do know the strength of Jehovah which must carry us through on our way through life. We may never be assembled in the courts of that literal temple in Jerusalem, but we do expect to appear in the heavenly temple before our God at the end of our life. So like God's people in the past, Christians today, you and I, are pilgrims on the way to Zion. And that's the theme for the sermon this evening. Pilgrims on the way to Zion. First, these pilgrims pass through the valley of Baca or the valley of weeping. Secondly, they go through that valley from strength to strength on their way to appear before God. And everyone in the end of their journey does appear before God. Pilgrims on the way to Zion, through the valley of Baca, from strength to strength, everyone appears before God. So every pilgrim to Zion must pass through the valley. Children, the city of Jerusalem was not built in a big open field like many cities today in the United States of America. The city of Jerusalem was built on top of a mountain called Mount Zion. And it wasn't a lone mountain with a city on top of it, but Mount Zion was surrounded by other mountains. Psalm 125 verse 2 says, As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth and forever. There were mountains surrounding the city. So if you were standing in the city of Jerusalem, looking out on the horizon, you would see these mountains. And if there are mountains, then that means there are also valleys, deep and low spots, crevices, where the mountains meet in between them. So if the pilgrim is going to make his way from the surrounding countryside 
of Judea and of Israel to the city of God, he has to pass through those valleys and make his way up this mountain. But the valley is a frightening place for the pilgrim to pass through. Maybe you've read The Pilgrim's Progress to Your Children. We always read the version called The Dangerous Journey that has some pretty vivid illustrations in it. Or maybe you've read the actual edition by John Bunyan himself. But maybe you remember in that story, the protagonist, Christian, passes through what is identified as the valley of the shadow of death. On one side there's this horrendous swamp full of thick mud that if you fall into, you're going to be sucked down into it and you're going to perish. On the other side is a great deep chasm with a glowing fire somewhere in the depths representing the chasm of hell. In between these two horrors is this very narrow path that Christian has to walk through. Terrifying venture to walk down that very straight and very narrow path through this valley between two perils. Well, what's the point of that illustration? The point of that illustration is to show that the valley is a place of danger. It's a place of trouble. It's a place that represents threats to the Christian, to his faith, and to his Christian life. So too, the valleys around Jerusalem were places where robbers lurked, where wild animals prowled, and the pilgrims did not have cell phones. They cannot quickly dial 911 and assume that there would be help coming within a few minutes to help ward off any sort of attack. They did not have car doors that they could lock to protect themselves. They did not have cars so as to pass through the valley quickly and undetected. They were exposed, exposed to whatever might be there, whatever might be lurking behind the bushes, behind the crevices, in the shadows, in the darkness. In particular, the psalmist mentions the valley of Baca in verse 6. These pilgrims pass through the valley of Baca and make it a well. So what was this valley of Baca? Well, some say it was a valley where water seeped out of the rocks. So imagine you're in this valley and you're going upward to get out of the valley and there's water seeping out of the rocks from some sort of underground cistern or underground spring. And as you pass up, there are little streams and little waterfalls that are coming down this valley and it looks like the valley is weeping because the word Baca is a Hebrew word uh, that's related to the word that means to weep or to cry. And so they think maybe this was a place that looked like it was weeping, some sort of natural phenomenon. But if you look at the text, it doesn't say that water seeps out of the rock and fills the pools, but it says the rain fills the pools. And it says that the pilgrims who pass through this valley of Baca are the ones who make it a well. So that seems to imply this is not a place that is naturally saturated with water, but it is a place that is normally dry and dusty. 
a place that only becomes a well and full of pools when rain happens to pass through. So that first explanation is probably false. Other commentaries suggest that this valley of Baca was a place where a certain kind of tree grew in abundance. Because though the word Baca is related to the word for weeping, it literally refers to a kind of tree that grew in the land of Canaan. It's the same tree that's mentioned in 1 Samuel 5, if you remember the story of David, who had to go out and fight against the, one of the heathen kingdoms. And God said, wait until you hear a sound of going in the mulberry trees, but literally, it's the baca trees. And it's thought that this baca tree might have received its name from a resin or a sap that came out of it and looked like tears running down the trunk. Or maybe it was a tree that had long spindles or withs like a weeping willow tree. A weeping willow tree representing tears and weeping. But if that's the explanation, then it would seem that the psalmist's point is only that this is some sort of landmark to mark that they're getting close to their destination and it doesn't seem to fit well with the idea of rain filling the pools and wells being filled up with water. Others look at this and they say it's just a metaphor. There's not a literal valley with uh, water trickling down the rocks or with weeping willow trees or baca trees that pilgrims literally pass through on their way to Zion. He's just speaking in picture language to represent the hardships that pilgrims must face on their journey to Zion. Well, that too doesn't really seem to do justice to the language of the text, which speaks of definite language of what seems to be a real place, the Valley of Baca. This was a location that pilgrims would have passed through as they were making their way on their way to Zion. Pilgrimage was a regular feature of the Jewish life in the Old Testament time. I think the best explanation would be to take some of these elements and really combine them. I believe there was a real place called the, the Valley of Baca that probably was filled with these Baca trees, which did serve as a landmark for the pilgrims of Zion. It said something to the pilgrims when they reached this particular place as they were making their way to the city of Jerusalem. But it was also a place where rain fell during the wet season. And when the rain fell, it would fill up pools. And there would be small streams, perhaps, that would go out of those pools. But there would be water that would be left there in the rainy season that would enable these baker trees to survive. Ordinarily, though, it was a hot and arid valley in the approaches to Mount Zion. We're talking about a dry climate in Palestine. But it was a valley. A valley, and as a valley, it did represent a place of hardship, a place where there could be lurking enemies, lurking threats, poisonous snakes, wild animals. It was a spot, perhaps, where the food stores of the pilgrims began to run out. They're getting close to their location, which means that they have been relying on their food stores and it's getting thin. It was a place where water supplies would start to become exhausted. 
And therefore, it was a place where there was much literal weeping from the pilgrims. Just think about the richness of that picture. Here you have these weeping trees in this valley of hardships and surrounded by these trees, or these pilgrims pass through and they weep their own tears in the toil and the pilgrimage of their journey. You can see how the Valley of Baca would be a cause of frustration and tears for these pilgrims. In their heart is the way to Zion. What these pilgrims want is to appear before their God. They are longing. They are crying out for the altars of the living God. They're on this journey. And they have already been on this journey for some time, a journey they have been taking on foot. But now they run into the Valley of Baca. A valley of tears and hardship. Just near the end of their journey, they face this terrible obstacle. The valley of tears. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, you are Christian pilgrims. And you are passing through this life on your pilgrimage to Zion. On your journey, have you ever passed through the Valley of Baca? Have you ever found yourself in the Valley of Tears? Now, I'm not just talking about the regular trials of life that bring hardship into our lives as Christians. Every pilgrim walks through valleys periodically through the course of his or her life, every Christian gets sick. Every Christian gets injured. Every Christian has relationship problems, conflicts that arise. And these trials are difficult, and we have to press through them. But the Valley of Baca represents a unique sort of trial. It stands for that kind of trial that really weighs on you that really challenges you so that it seems like this is it. This is the trial that's going to do you in. This is where you're going to fall apart. It's the sort of trial where you say, I've already been enduring trial after trial on my pilgrimage. I've already been walking one foot in front of the other, eating these food stores, depriving of myself of bed and board in a regular house so that I can be out on the journey. My water jug is nearly dry. My feet are sore and calloused. My clothes are wearing out. And now I have to go through this? How can I ever make it through this trial? Through the Valley of Baca? How am I ever going to get there to appear before my God in Zion? Surely, This valley is the end. This is going to be the death of me. I'm going to collapse here. I'm going to perish of dehydration, of starvation, of sheer weariness. Have you been in that valley? Have you as a Christian parent knelt 
beside the bed of a child who is sick. Not just sick with a flu or with a cold, but sick. Sick unto death. And there you are, a parent, helpless to heal this child, terrified of losing this object of your love. Have you, as a Christian child or young person, sat alone in the dark of your bedroom, listening as another loud argument breaks out between dad and mom down the hall, and there's yelling and screaming. Have you, as a Christian adult passing through life, suddenly been blindsided by depression, by burnout, after working for months and months and years and years at a breakneck pace? Have you, as a Christian believer, lost friends, lost the fellowship of loved ones because of heated disagreements that broke out or false accusations that were made? Have you cried out in the valley of doubt and disquiet that exists on account of your own personal sin? You examine yourself as we are called to do this week. And lo and behold, you discover in your examination that you are a sinner. And understanding what sin is and who it is committed against and what it means for those who commit sin and how it enrages God. Have you felt the weight of the guilt and the shame of that sin in your life? Or maybe as an older person, you look back on the course of your life and you remember the sins of long ago. And when you committed those sins as long, of long ago, you were young and immature and you didn't understand so much what you were doing, but now you look back on that as an older person and you think, what was I doing? How could I have done that to that person? How could I have done that to my God? And the fear and the shame and the guilt of it washes over you again. Have you struggled in the valley of temptation and of the flesh and of besetting sins? Sins that you know you commit and you know they're wrong and you know very well that you ought not to do it and you even feel the guilt and the shame of it, and you say, I will never do that again. And then a week goes by, 
and the temptation pulls on you again, and your defenses break down, and the flesh awakens and grabs hold of that opportunity to enjoy the pleasures of that sin once again, and you're caught again in the snare. Have you been in that valley? Frustrating, infuriating, terrifying valley. If you've not been in the valley of Baca, beloved, I can assure you that you will. If you are a Christian, you will pass through the valley of Baca. Maybe for you it will be watching the world fall apart. The world as we know it around us. As the kingdom of darkness arises and the man of sin takes his place saying that he is God and demanding the worship of all men. Maybe for you it will be enduring persecution for Christ's sake if you live into the days of tribulation. Maybe for you it will be seeing friends and family split apart as a great apostasy sweeps through the world as the end nears. Or maybe it will simply be when you are lying on your deathbed and you are counting down the seconds of your life till your last breath and the last tick of your heart. But it's not a matter of whether you will pass through the valley of Bega. If you are a Christian, if you are a pilgrim on the way to Zion, you will pass through this valley. And what makes the valley of Bega such a valley of tears is that it seems to set up this obstacle between the pilgrim who longs to be with his God and God himself. Maybe those Christian parents tending to their sick child begin to wonder, is this a judgment? Is God punishing me? Punishing me for some neglect, some failure, maybe for one of those sins of long ago. Maybe in your depression, you begin to think, is any of this worth it? Or are my Christian hopes just a dream? A dream that's not real. And how terrifying when death rises up. It seems to form an obstacle between us and God. That's what death was in the beginning. It was an obstacle, a barrier, a separation between God and Adam and the human race. How terrifying when the grave rises up before us. What if, we may think to ourselves, what if in the end I was deceived What if I will not open my eyes in Zion at all, but somewhere else, if anywhere? What if God is not for me, but against me? What if I am yet in my sins? What then? And then, of course, the devil jumps out of his hiding place in the valley and he points his finger 
And he accuses, yes, yes, that's right, that's right. You're never going to make it to Zion. You're going to perish here. This is the valley of weeping. This is the valley of tears. And this will be your undoing. And that thought all by itself, that thought that I will never make it, I will never appear before my God, itself becomes a kind of, I don't want to say this lightly, but a kind of living hell. The pilgrim is on his way to appear before his God. The thought of not appearing there more than anything else, that makes him weep. Makes him cry out. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Don't leave me here. Don't let me perish in the valley of weeping. Give me strength. Strength to press on through the valley. Well, Jehovah gives strength to his pilgrims as they pass through the valley of tears. Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Let's notice a few things about that strength that God gives. First of all, it's God's strength. Is God's strength, and it must be God's strength. It can only be God's strength. Beloved, the valley of Baca will break you. It will break you. It will draw out your fears and doubts. It will inflame your bitterness. It will exhaust you, body and soul. Perhaps it was not a specific sin you committed that brought you into the valley of Baca, but the valley of Baca, the pressures of life will draw out the worst from you, from your flesh. And in your own strength, passing through such a valley, you will only find yourself further and further from Zion. You don't have the strength. You don't have it to face the valley of Baca. Only the strength of God. Only the strength of God enables and equips the pilgrim to pass through this valley. Blessed is the man, verse 5, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Notice the nature of that strength. Whose strength is in thee, and then this is a Hebrew passage, and there's a Hebrew parallelism going on here. Whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways. In other words, this is what the strength that God gives is. He puts in their heart the ways. He puts in the heart of these pilgrims the way to get through the valley. It's a strength, in other words, that comes From within, God puts it within the pilgrim so that he walks. He walks with his heart and he walks with his own two feet. But it is God's strength 
Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. Do not trust, beloved, in your own strength to get you through the valley of tears. You will be left there. Believe what the psalmist declares, rather, and apply it to yourself. Blessed, happy is the man whose strength is in thee. It's God's strength. Secondly, this strength that God gives is a strength that comes in degrees and in which the pilgrim progressively grows. God does not give His pilgrims a limitless supply of strength at the beginning of their journey so that they go on and on and on without ever tiring. No, He gives them a little bit of strength here to pass through this valley and to get over this obstacle and to make it through this day. No pilgrim ever sprinted for his whole journey without stopping to eat and to drink and to rest. They go slowly, but steadily, progressively, from strength to strength. Do you think you can run, beloved? Do you think you can sprint through the Christian life, through the valleys? I can tell you it's not going to work. It's not going to be long before you're panting, out of breath, laid out by the wayside, The Christian pilgrimage is not for sprinters. It's slow, steady, progressive. Especially when we're going through the valley of Baca. Especially when we're going through that ultimate trial. That trial that seems to... like it's going to be the death of you. Sufficient unto each day is the trouble thereof, Jesus says. Day by day, from strength to strength. Your strength is from God and it's in God, but that does not mean that you are God. You are a pilgrim living out of your God. Third, it is strength for passing through the valley of Baca. Notice, there is only one way. If you are going to go from the beginning of your pilgrimage ultimately to appear before God, there's one way. And it's through. Not over. Not around. Through the valley of Baca. The strength of God is not strength that can be measured in terms of the things that we think of as strength in human terms. The strength of God that will enable you to get through your pilgrimage is not the strength of a successful career. It is not the strength of a large bank account full of gold and silver. The strength of God that will enable you to pass through your pilgrimage is not the strength of an athletic body or good looks. It is not the strength that gives us pleasure in this life or makes us powerful in the eyes of men. The strength that God gives us, beloved, is the strength to suffer. It's the strength to suffer in the valley of weeping. It's the strength not to be broken. Not to be broken as we face 
the most grave of obstacles in life. It's the strength to press onward. Beloved, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the pleasure madness of the world in which we live. Do not make the mistake of thinking that the strength that God gives you is the strength to accomplish the objectives that you have for this life. That's not what it is. It's the strength to pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. And finally, it's the strength that God gives us as He Himself comes down to us in the valley. When we speak of the strength of God, beloved, we're speaking of God Himself. God is His strength. God is His power. God cannot give His strength to us, in other words, without giving Himself to us. And if He's going to give Himself to us, He has to come right down into the valley with us. He has to be there with us in our tears and in the struggle. It's not like God remains far off on that hilltop of Zion watching from a distance as His pilgrims struggle to make it through the valley of Baca. No, He comes right down by our side. He puts His ways in our heart because He puts Himself in our heart by His Spirit. And He does more than that. He comes down into our human flesh. He becomes a man. A man just like you and just like me except without sin. And He walks in the same paths that we must walk. And He weeps the same tears that we must weep. And if you thought the valley of weeping that you must face on your pathway to Zion is fearful and troubling, and if you thought that your valley of Baca might break you, think of the valley that Jesus Christ had to pass through. Think of the hell into which He descended right down into that black abyss that Christian was walking by as he walked that straight and narrow path in the valley of the shadow of death, descending there to pay for our sins, to give us a standing with God, and to bring us through so that we have a right to appear before our God. Christ was the preeminent pilgrim, you see, who went the way of tears, who went through the valley of Baca, the way of the cross. And those tears become the strength which carries us. That's the ironic, the beautiful thing about this text. It's the valley of weeping. It's the valley of tears. And yet, notice what happens to that valley of tears. It becomes a place of blessing. That's what it means when it says in verse 6, that as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a well, the rain also filleth the pools. They make it a well. The pilgrims do, Christ as the preeminent pilgrim going before them, but they make it a well. And there's, there's a play on words going on here. It's the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, in which the rain begins to fall. But notice, they weep. 
And as they weep their tears in the valley of Baca, they make it a well, and that well replenishes the earth so that it becomes a place of blessing, and they are able to go from strength to strength on their way to Zion. God takes our weakness. He takes our suffering. Something that we think is going to break us. Something that we think is going to be to our destruction. And he flips it around. And the very tears that we shed become the fertilizer that makes this valley start to bloom. And to become a place of provisions and a place of refreshment and pools all the way up this valley on the way to Zion. You think about it, that's the way that God works. It's not like He just gives us raw power so that we can endure and press on and get our way through this valley. By a show of force, as it were. No. He transforms the valley itself and the way we see the valley. He makes the cross, which in the ancient world was a symbol of utter defeat and shame and humiliation and death. And he turns that into the very foundation of hope and life and redemption. Not just for Jesus Christ, who finished His work on that cross and emerged from the tomb, but for all the pilgrims, all who belong to Jesus Christ, who die with Him in His death and then are raised with Him in His resurrection. And God does that. All through the course of our life, we go through these valleys. We go through these severe trials sometimes. And what happens? Well, the Lord transforms it into a place of blessing. As we have to lay hold upon Him and trust in Him and call out to Him, we experience and we taste His grace and we find that He is good. And we find that He is especially good in contrast to the bleakness of the trial that we are facing. And we find that these things that we do in church aren't just formulaic rituals that we go through. But there's something there. When the table is served and we see that bread broken And that wine poured out. What's going on there? The Lord is feeding me. He's making a way station for me. Strengthening me. Out of what? Out of death. Out of the breaking down of the body of His Son. And through that He feeds me. And He makes this valley into a place teeming with life and victory. why the psalmist cries out, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Blessed 
Blessed not because his pilgrimage is easy as such. It's never easy, but blessed because God transforms the pilgrimage itself and our understanding of that pilgrimage so that no matter where we are in life and no matter what we are going through, no matter how hard the way may become, we find that it's still better to be on the way to Zion, to appear before God. That's blessed. Because the pilgrim's strength is in Jehovah then, and because he goes from strength to strength with the leading of the Lord, he will certainly appear before God, according to verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. It's really kind of an interesting thing. You'd think that when this pilgrimage is getting near the end of his journey and he's passing through this valley of Baca, that he'd be worn out and he'd be about ready to collapse. But what actually happens? He gets stronger. He gets stronger and livelier and more full of hope. And he passes from strength to strength until finally he reaches Zion itself. And by the end, he's not so much walking as he's leaping and dancing. The reason for that is twofold. For one thing, he's driven by his desire, the desire that drove him from the beginning. He was longing, he was crying out, how my flesh longs. I want to be like those sparrows. I want to be like those swallows who have built their nest in the altars of the Lord. That desire drives him. It's been driving him all along. And the closer he gets, the more of that desire is quickened in him and enlivened in him. It's like, just to use an example from everyday life, when you are heading somewhere, to some destination where you're going to relax for a while on vacation. While you're tired out, if you've been in the car driving for hour after hour, but those last few hours, you start to get excited. You start to look forward to it. Well, that happens to the pilgrim as well. He's walking and he's leaping and he is rejoicing as he gets closer. He's going to appear before God. But then also, he's carried along by the strength that Jehovah has been giving him. Jehovah, God, began a good work in this pilgrim when he put the way to Zion in his heart and when he set him out on his way. But as the Word of God teaches in Philippians 1, he who begins a good work in us will also bring it to the day of Jesus Christ. He never abandons his children in the valley of Baca. The devil wants us to think that. Our flesh might feel that, but God will never do that. He will never leave his children in the valley of weeping. But he will pick us up and carry us and ensure that our desire is realized. That we appear before him 
Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God at the end of his journey. It's certain. It's certain. The psalmist isn't saying, maybe this will happen. He's declaring it. This is what happens. Every one of these pilgrims, in whose heart are the ways to Zion, who passes through this valley, every one of them appears before God. It's certain. And that adds to the blessedness. Blessed is he whose strength is in thee and whose heart are the ways of them. I'm certain that I'm going to reach my destination. Zion isn't just a dream. Zion isn't a false hope like the hopes that men have for utopia that are not based on anything concrete or real. But Zion is real. And my place there is certain. I can know even through my tears that this affliction that I am facing, which feels very intense, is a light affliction and is but for a moment. And it's even working for me a far more eternal weight of glory. It's certain. That adds to the blessedness. Which means, beloved, that we can be happy. The Christian can be happy. He can be happy even if he's in the valley of weeping. He can have joy. Because even though we might be in that valley, we know, we know, we're not going to stay there. There's an end. But then ultimately, the arrival in Zion itself is the most blessed of all. Can you imagine it, beloved? You can't. Neither can I. Appearing before God. Standing before Him. Standing before Him not in fear. Standing before Him not thinking, this holy, righteous God is surely going to cast me out of His sight, but standing before Him and being received by Him and accepted by Him. Can you imagine that? Sitting at the feet of the God who made the world and who made you. Sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ who redeemed us and who made a way for us through the valley. Blessed. That will be blessed. And the joy of that, the hope of that, carries us along, beloved. Our life, the life of a Christian, is a pilgrim journey. Many challenges, many dangers, but through them all, the Lord gives us joy and hope. So walk in your pilgrim journey, beloved. Walk through that valley of Baca. Don't be overwhelmed by it. Don't be overcome by it. But know that right there in the valley is your God. And He will ensure, ensure, you will appear before Him. 
you will come to the end of your journey. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, in many ways our whole life is a valley of tears. We emerge into this life and we have but a few years. 70, 80, in our day and age, maybe 90, maybe 100 even. But it's still just a short time. And through that span of life, many ups and downs, many temptations and trials, many things that press down upon us, that make us weep even, real wet tears down our cheeks. But, O Father, we thank Thee for revealing to us that Thou art with us in the valley and that the very valley itself is transformed by Thee so that the very tears we shed fill up a well and fill up a pool to make that valley a place of blessing, a place of strength that carries us along until we appear before Thee. And, O Father, how we long to appear before Thee. We long to appear before Thee next week to sit at Thy table, to receive the body and blood of our Lord, to experience that way station of Thy grace on our pilgrim journey. But we long for that final, final place, that place that our Lord went before to prepare for us. Carry us along, O Father. Give us that strength. And we pray, let not our tears be shed in vain, but treasure them. Collect them in thy bottle and lead us along. Hear our prayer, O Father, for Jesus' sake. 